You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you guys today. Like Dale said, my name's Elliot. I'm the connection card. We are the connection pastor. We are um, looking at how to be unshaken by various kinds of trouble in this uh, message series. And our guide has been the book of Psalms. Psalms is the longest book in the Bible. It's right in the middle of your Bible, and it has the um, most chapters. It has 150 chapters in it, and the vast majority of the chapters are prayers. Prayers prayed by God's people in the variety of circumstances and challenges that we face in life. Prayers prayed that help them focus and remember who God is. The book of Psalms is really a prayer and praise book for those of us who follow God. And today, we're going to be talking about how to be unshaken by sickness. And sickness is one of those things we're all going to experience it. You might even be experiencing it right now. Your kids might be experiencing it right now. We're all going to experience sickness. We have experienced sickness, and we will experience sickness. And so it's important to ask the question, how should we think about this? What what does God want us to do in response to the sickness that is part of living in this world? A couple weeks ago, um, our family met up with my side of the family for a vacation. We spent some time um, in the mountains. Here's a picture of us gathered outside the cabin that we were staying at. And the people in this picture are some of the most important people to me in my life. I mean, these are the people that I grew up with. These are the people that have impacted me deeply. These are people that I love. And whenever sickness or health concerns impact these people, it weighs on me. And just from this picture, I mean, I could go on and on. I could almost go person by person and point out the different ways that health concerns have impacted them. Just in this picture, there's been cancer, autoimmune disease, ulcerated colitis. There's been asthma, chronic pain, diabetes. There have been emergency surgeries. I mean, I could go on and on down the list of ways that sickness has impacted the people in this picture. And when sickness and health problems strike, it shakes me. I mean, I'm just like you. It, it, it shakes me when it impacts the people that I love. And beyond the people in my family, health concerns are a constant for the people that I'm close to, the people that I interact with. I mean, and each week when I read through the prayer requests that are submitted on the connection card, a large number of those prayer requests have to do with health concerns. I mean, this is a topic, sickness is a topic that hits close to home. It's a topic that strikes deeper at a deeper level than most topics. And it's something that can bring us to our limits faster than most things in life. I mean, there are a few things, there are a few that bring us to our limits faster, but sickness is one of those things that brings us to our limits really, really quickly, faster than most things. And the reason is is because sickness, both in our lives and in the lives of the people we love, can rob us of joy and keep us from moving forward. This is what sickness does. It robs us of joy, and it keeps us from moving forward. So we've been looking at the Psalms for help with these things that shake us to our core. And the people in the Psalms, as we read through the book, we realize that they bring us into the raw circumstances of their lives, and there's a great deal that we can learn from them. So today we're going to shift our attention to Psalm 73. That's where we're going to start, Psalm 73. And it's a psalm written by a man named Asaph. And in the psalm, He's complaining and he's comparing. He's complaining about the prosperity of the people around him, the people he refers to as the wicked, and he compares his life with those people, and he begins to let his emotions and faulty thinking 
get the best of him in this psalm. So we're going to pick the psalm up in verse 4. We're going to read verses 4 and 5 to get started and see how Asaph is doing this in the psalm. This is what he says. He says, they have no struggles. So he's talking about the people that live around him. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Now, we know this is an exaggeration. I mean, nobody is free from struggles. Nobody is just fit and healthy and strong all the time. Nobody is free from the common human burdens or not plagued by human ills. We know that this is an exaggeration. But what's happening in this is what what we do is we complain about what we're struggling with. Whenever we start to complain about something, it usually points to there's some area in our life that we're struggling with. So he's complaining. He's comparing with these other people. And it reveals one of the things he's struggling with. I think he's struggling with multiple things. But one of them is he's not happy about his physical health. And we can relate to this. I mean, when we get a diagnosis or when we have a long run of sickness or maybe our kids have a long run of sickness and the things that we had planned, we're not able to do those things, oftentimes we start to complain We start to look at the people around us and see what they're experiencing, and we start to compare. So he goes on a few verses later, verse 13. He says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. He's in a bad spot. He's in a bad spot. He starts, he's experiencing something he doesn't like. He starts to compare with other people. He starts complaining, and then he gets to a spot where he's saying, Hey, God, I've taken you seriously, but all these people around me, all these people that I see that ignore you, they're not taking you seriously. They're healthy, they're strong, they don't experience the stuff that I experience, and here I am taking you seriously, and I'm suffering. What gives, God? What's going on? He's getting into a really tough spot. And one of the things that he's struggling with is a false idea that was common in his day and time and is also popular in our day today. It's this idea that if you, if you obey God and you take him seriously, then magically everything in your life will suddenly work out. It's kind of this idea that in heaven there's this like magical dust that God has, and you obey God, and God scoops up that dust, and he just takes it, and he sprinkles it over your life, and suddenly, you know, voila, it's, it's smooth sailing, you're happy, you have all the things that you want, everything's good. This idea that, okay, if I obey God then it's just going to work out. And there is actual truth in the fact that obedience does impact your experience in life. The amount of joy that you experience, how your life is going to go, one of the factors in determining that is your obedience, if you take God seriously. The problem is, it's not the only factor, and it's actually not the primary factor. The primary factor in what's going to happen in your life is God's plan. The Bible refers to that as God's will. God's will is the primary factor. So your obedience does matter, but it's not the primary thing. There's more going on than just your obedience. And if you start to believe the lie, if you get into the false thinking that obedience means that everything's going to magically work out, then what sickness and physical ailments will do is they'll shake your faith. And just like Asaph in this passage, you'll start to think, what's the point of taking God seriously? I'm taking him seriously, and all of a sudden, life's not going the way that I want. So as we read through the passage, we see he actually doesn't stay stuck. He doesn't stay in his comparison and his complaining. He wrestles with this. He takes it before God in prayer. He starts to remember the truth. He remembers God's love for him, and this is where he lands, verses 23 through 26. He says this. He says, Yet I am always with you. 
referring to God. Yet I'm always with you, God. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So what gets him off of the comparing and the complaining is he stops focusing on himself, and he starts focusing on God and God's activity. Instead of focusing on, oh, my life is so terrible, and why is this happening to me, and I can't believe this, and I don't deserve this, and this isn't what I want, and this isn't fair, instead of thinking about all those things, he doesn't just stop and say, oh, I'm not going to compare, I'm not going to complain. He actually replaces it with, well, how is God at work? What's God doing in this situation? Instead of focusing on himself, he starts to focus on God. Let me read it again. Just pay attention to the emphasis here. He says, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He starts to focus on God and God's activity, and that shifts his perspective on what he's experiencing. You know, when things strike us unexpectedly, one of the most common questions is, where is God? Where is God? Where is God in the middle of this situation that I don't want in this terrible thing that I'm experiencing? And what Asaph is communicating is that God walks through our sickness with us. So you're in the waiting room waiting to get the test results that the doctor ordered, and God's there in the room. You're in the operating room, God's there in the room. You're in the hospital bed, God is right there with you. That's what Asaph is saying. He's saying that God walks through our sickness with us. Even when it feels like our lives are in a complete free fall and it's coming apart, God's there to help us. When it feels like everything's crashing around us and we have no strength left, like it says, God can literally be the strength of your heart. Notice the statement that he makes. He says, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you take me into glory. This is really fascinating. You know, he's saying, as I go through life, my life is guided by God's counsel. And we would like it if it concluded and said, okay, I go through life, I'm guided by God's counsel, I learn the things he wants me to learn, and then he makes me healthier and stronger than I was when I was 18. And we like it if it says that, but it doesn't. It actually refers to death, and it says, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards, you take me into glory. He, he's pointing out that, hey, I, I might not get healed from this thing. The thing that I'm struggling with might not be resolved. But it's really fascinating because his hope is not in his health. His hope is not in what he experiences in this life. His hope is in heaven. That's what he's referring to when he says, you take me into glory. And what he's doing is he's, he's reframing our perspective on sickness. He's giving us an accurate perspective, and he's making the point that sickness is a temporary experience. If you're following along on your outline, this is the first fill-in-the-blank. Sickness is a temporary experience. This is really important for us to remember as we go through life. You know, if you've experienced, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, what that means is you can look forward to the promise of eternal life. Your hope is now in heaven. Your hope is not in this life and what happens here on earth. And as a result of that, you can face sickness in faith. Because no matter how things end, you know that God has given you eternal life. If you've decided to follow Jesus, no sickness is final. We have hope in heaven. This is one of the main ideas presented in the Bible. In the book of Romans, 
we see an explanation of how sin entered into the world. Romans 5.12, it says this, says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. What this is talking about is Adam. Adam, the very first man, the very first human, he was the representative. He was the head of the human race. So when he made a decision, his decisions impact everybody that comes after him. So he makes a decision to rebel against God. The consequences of that are experienced by everyone who would come after him. Look at, look at how the verse says this. It says, he chose to rebel against God. And what that did is it opened the door for sin to enter. And when sin entered, it brought death, both physical death and spiritual death. And death brought all his friends, sickness, disease, on and on down the list. Sickness exists in the world because of sin. But in response to this sin, what God did is he started a process of unwinding the effects. Just a few verses later, verse 18 says this, says, consequently, just as the one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. The one trespass, that's a reference to Adam. The one righteous act, that's talking about Jesus. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus comes and becomes the representative, the head of a new people. And Jesus' perfect life and selfless sacrifice, what that does is it gives us the opportunity to receive eternal life. So then the sickness that we experience now, it's just temporary because Jesus has given us eternal life. There's life after death. We're not... We're not just limited to what we experience here and now on this earth. Our hope is ultimately in heaven. That's why in Psalm 73, Asaph says, you will guide me with your counsel. That's what my life is about. I walk through life guided by God's counsel, and then afterward, you will take me into glory. You can face sickness knowing that it will not last forever. Sickness in this life is a temporary experience. So then that brings up the question, well, what are we supposed to do now? I mean, we're still living in this life. We're still in this world. This is still our experience. So what are we supposed to do as we're going through this life and we're waiting for the life to come? Well, one of the important things that we can do, especially when it comes to this topic, is we need to learn to trust God with the number of our days. Sickness is a temporary experience. Heaven is waiting for us. But we can trust God with the number of our days. Trust him that that he knows exactly how many days we're going to live. He has a plan for those days, and he's actually in control of what's going to happen as we go through our lives. David was one of Israel's kings, and he wrote several of the Psalms. And as you read through his story, what you realize was David was regularly in situations where life hung in the balance. He was regularly in situations where it could go one way or another. And as he went through his life, one of the things that he came to realize was he came to realize how involved God was in his life, both from the very beginning, from his conception, all the way to the day that he would eventually die. So he writes this in Psalm 139. He says, For you created my inmost beings. He's talking about God. For you created my inmost beings. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together into the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. What he's saying is, I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for God. God made me. God created me. So not only am I only here because of God, 
God, before I was even born, knew everything that would happen in my life. Like he says there, he says, all my days were ordained for me, were written in your book before one of them came to be. He's aware of God's control and God's plan. Now, unfortunately, there's only a few ways to learn that God's in control of the number of your days. And sickness is one of the ways that we learn that. There aren't very many things that wake us up to the reality that we are mortal beings and eventually we are going to die like sickness. Sickness is one of the things that wakes us up to this fact and gets us to stop relying on ourselves and our control and shifts our perspective to, I've got to trust that God, he ultimately knows the exact number of days that I'm going to be here. Sickness is one of the things that teaches us this lesson. Earlier this year in our family, um, our youngest child, Alden, he, um, he, was, he got sick, and it kind of came on really quickly, and he had a, he had a low-grade fever throughout the day, and then in the evening, his fever spiked, and it got really, really high, and when his um, fever spiked, he got really lethargic, and then he um, started having trouble breathing, started having labored breathing. And um, as this is happening, Allie and I are talking about what, what we need to do in response, and so we decided that she would take him to urgent care. So she's getting the uh, bag ready, the diaper bag, whatever else she's going to need when she goes there. And I decided to call um, the nurse at Viceline. And so I call the nurse. Just I'm trying to expedite the process. I'm like, hey, like this is what's happening. This is what we're coming in. You know, can we get him in to see a doctor right away, hoping maybe they have a, an appointment or something they can get him in. So I'm on the phone with her, and I explain the situation. She says, sir, you need to hang up right now and you need to call 911. And none of our other kids have had to do the ambulance ride. And so this was new for us. And so you know, she says this, and I'm kind of like, well, okay, this is a brand new thing. So I get off the phone. I turn to Allie. I say, hey, the nurse says we just need to call 911 right now. So we do it. We call 911. And if you've been in that situation, you know how fast things can escalate. So it's only a matter of minutes. The paramedics are there. They're hooking him up to all kinds of monitoring things. They've got the mask on his face, take him out on the gurney. Him and Allie are off to the hospital. And just to skip ahead in the story, he's fine. So I don't want to leave you hanging. Okay? So he's fine. It turned out it went well. But as that's happening, the other kids are playing in one of the other rooms in the house. From their perspective, it's been a great day. I mean, they, they had school. They went and hung out with friends. They have had a great day. They knew he wasn't feeling well. But, you know, no big deal. I mean, he's a little brother, you know, he'll figure it out. So from their perspective, this is a great day. And then suddenly they hear a siren. Oh, they realize the siren's in our neighborhood, and the flashing lights are in our front yard. And then these strangers, these paramedics, are coming into our house and taking their little brother and putting him on the gurney, and he's all strapped up, and they're taking him out. And so they just lose it. I mean, they are just in complete shock. What in the world just happened? What descended on our family? So they're... They're crying. Literally, some of them were wailing, just like walking up and down the hall, saying his name. As, you know, as a parent, it's just like, I'm sitting there like, I'm trying to hold it together, and then I start losing it because they're losing it. So then they start coming up to me, and they're like, is he going to die? Are we ever going to see him again? And my temptation was just say like, you know, kind of dismiss the worry. I don't want my kids to worry. Just kind of dismiss it. No, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. He's going to be back. He's going to be better than before. Let's just, you know, let's watch a movie, distract ourselves. It's going to, it's going to all work out. So I really wanted to do that. And I, I was also thinking, like, statistically, he's probably going to come back. He's probably going to be fine. He's 
probably nothing going on. It's probably all going to work out. So these are the thoughts running through my head. But I, I also knew that I couldn't say with confidence to my kids, it's all going to work out. Because I know that we live in a world just like we just talked about. We live in a world broken by sin. So there's sickness. There's disease. There's death. This stuff happens. So I know that this is in the realm of possibility. So I'm sitting there with my kids trying to process how to help them work through their emotions while I'm experiencing my emotions. What I decided to do is I just said simply, I said, hey, kids, I actually don't know what's going to happen. But here's what I do know. I know that God's in control. I know that he's with Mommy and Alden right now. I know that he knew this was going to happen before we knew it was going to happen. And I know that we can go to him and we can pray to him and we can ask him to protect Alden and help him recover from whatever's going on right now. So that's what we did. In the middle of the freak out, in the middle of the, the crying, we took some time and we prayed. And that didn't resolve everything. I mean, it wasn't like suddenly the worry went away and the emotions went away and we suddenly felt better. So throughout the night, we'd start to get anxious. We'd start to worry. They would start to wonder. And I said, okay, we got to do this again. We're not in control here. God's in control here. So we've got to go to God again and we got to pray. And what that night was for me and the kids that were at home, what that experience was, one, it was a reminder for me as the parent. You know, sometimes as a parent, I've got this false notion that as long as my kids are in my care, they're safe. But that's just not the case. God is ultimately the one who's in control. He has way more influence and power than I do. So it was an opportunity for me as the parent to remember that. And then instead of just, okay, I've got it all figured out, they're safe when they're in my control, to go to him and say, you know what, God, you ultimately know the number of days for all of my kids. You know the number of days for me. And so I'm going to come before you, and I'm going to ask you for help in this situation. It was an opportunity for me to remember that. It was an opportunity for my kids, too. Instead of just, you know, ignoring it, acting like it was nothing, it was an opportunity for them to realize, you know, there's more going on. There's more at play here, and God is actually more involved than we often realize. He's got a plan. He's in control. He knows exactly how many days each of us has on this planet. Sickness is one of the few things that kind of wakes us up to that reality and can get us to learn this important truth that God can be trusted with the number of our days. He's got a plan. He's in control. He knows what's going to happen. And coming to the point where we can trust God with the number of our days, this is a critical issue to settle as we go through life. Because if we settle this issue that God is actually in control of the number of our days, then if we turn to God, he can use all sickness for his purpose and our good. All sickness can be used for his purpose and our good. Sickness is just temporary like we talked about. Because of what Jesus has done, our hope does not have to be in this life. Our hope is in heaven. Sickness is temporary. And God knows exactly how long we're going to be on this planet. He knows the number of our days. And if we come to that conclusion, then if we turn to God, what he'll do is he will use all sickness for his purpose and our good. This is one of the most amazing things about God. Sickness is a consequence of sin. It's a result of our sin. So in the middle of the mess created by humanity in the middle of the outcome of sin, what God's doing is he's working good. He didn't just say, hey, you guys made that mess. You rebelled against me. You brought sin into the world through sin and her death and sickness and disease and all the other things. You know, you created the mess. Good luck figuring that out. You know, 
I'm just going to leave you to it. He didn't do that. He steps into the mess, and in the middle of this chaos created by us, he brings good. And if we turn to him, we start to see how he's doing this, how he's working his purpose and how he's bringing good. So what are some of God's purposes in sickness? As we go through sickness and the people we love experience sickness, what are some of God's purposes? Well, one of them is for his, glo- his glory. God is going to use sickness in our lives and in the lives of the people we love for his glory. One of his purposes is for people to have the opportunity to see him for who he really is. That's when he gets glory, when people recognize who he really is, and they see how good and powerful and loving he is. This is what we see in one of the stories between Jesus and a man who was born blind. Jesus' interaction with him points to this reality. This is what it says in John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It says, as he, Jesus, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You keep reading the story, what you see is Jesus heals the man. And this man was well known. He was a blind man. He had been in that village his entire life. Everybody knew him. They knew his family. They knew his parents. Everybody knew who he was. So you've got this guy that everybody knows as a blind man, and then suddenly he can see. And this created a lot of conversation. Jesus got a lot of attention because Jesus healed this man. And the point that Jesus makes here, right at the beginning of this passage, is this man was born blind so that God would get the glory when Jesus healed him. That's why it happened, so that people could see God for who he really is and give him glory. I mean, there are many situations where people have been healed or they've had their health restored, and there's no medical explanation And in those situations, the only place to give credit is to God. I've heard stories from people where they've been in the room with the doctor, and the doctor said, well, I know the cancer was there, and I can't explain it, but it's not there anymore. And the only place to give praise and to give credit is to God. And I recognize that in a room this size with this many people, that could be some of your story. God allowed something to happen, something that we perceive at the time of this is a terrible thing, but in the long run, it helped us and other people see how amazing God is. God gets the glory. That's one of the purposes. But this does bring up a question, which is a good question. What about in situations where sickness isn't healed? What about when sickness leads to death? You know, sometimes we get sick and we don't get better. It's just years of years of pain and suffering. What about in those situations? Does God get the glory? What about in situations where the sickness leads to death? Does God still get the glory in those situations? And something that I realize is that I've never gone through the death of a spouse. I've never experienced the loss of a child. I recognize that. I I recognize that this question does God still get the glory even when sickness leads to death? This question, for those that have experienced it, it brings up real pain because they walked that road and they had to answer the question. I recently read a book by a guy named Sheldon Van Auken. The book's title is A Severe Mercy, and it's a story of him walking this road. It's a story of him 
In his marriage, he details his relationship with his wife, how he became a Christian while studying at Oxford in England. In the process, he became friends with C.S. Lewis. And then over time, his wife got sick, and eventually um, she died of her sickness at the age of 40. And it's a really powerful book. And in the book, he explains how the death of the person that he loved the most, the worst thing imaginable in his world that could happen, how that brought glory to God. He shares about his realization that God used something that's the result of living in a world broken by sin. God used this thing to bring good. In this world that we live in, this world where sickness is a reality, one of God's purposes in the sickness is for people to see how good God is. And God will do that through the pain, through the sickness. Here's another purpose for his sickness. Second purpose is to grow our faith, character, and commitment to Christ. To grow our faith, character, and commitment to Christ. Most of our growth and maturity comes as we, pa- as we pass through testing and challenges. I wish this was not the case. I wish that we could grow sitting comfortably in a beach chair on vacation. But that's not how it works. Growth and maturity comes as we go through challenges. It's like, you know, it's like your high school coach said, no pain, no gain. That is just an unfortunate reality about us. When it's comfortable and life is smooth and it's going exactly the way that we wanted it to go, often we just, we rely on ourselves. We give ourselves the credit. We think that, you know, this is all happening because of us. We don't point to God and we don't rely on God. So what God will do is he'll allow and even at times bring trouble into our lives to get us to stop trusting ourselves and get us to rely on him. This is what it says in Psalm 119.71. It's really fascinating. It says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. This is a very foreign idea in our culture. It was good for me to be afflicted. Usually, we live life just going from one thing to the next, trying to feel good. Even even you hear people say, well, if it makes you feel good, just do it. It's almost like just because it feels good, that justifies whatever it is. So we just live life chasing feeling good. And then if something doesn't feel good, I mean, we'll even hear people say that. Well, if you don't feel good about it, don't do it. You know, if you don't feel good, it must be bad. So it must be avoided. You know, it's interesting here in this, in this verse is he says, when he says it was good for me to be afflicted, he's not saying the affliction in and of itself just because it was affliction was good. But he's saying because of what it produced... Because the outcome was that I learned more about God. I learned about his decrees. I learned about his ways. I learned about his involvement in the world. I learned to trust him because I now know more about who he is. Because of the outcome, because of what it produced, he can say, you know what, that thing that I went through, that affliction, that trouble, that pain, that terrible thing that I went through, that was actually good because of what it produced, because of what the outcome was. Trouble, including sickness, brings us to God in a unique way. There's a maturing and a growth that happens when in the middle of the trouble, in the middle of the sickness, we turn to God and ask God to help. Say to God, God, I want to grow. I want my character to be shaped by this experience. God, I want my commitment to you, to Christ, to go deeper. This is one of the things God does. Now, as I've learned this lesson, both from seeing it taught in the Bible and also experiencing it, one of the ways this has impacted me is through my prayer life. It impacts how I pray about both myself when I experience this and for other people. Like, obviously, I pray for healing. I mean, who doesn't pray for healing? 
you know, you want to be healed. But in addition to praying for healing, now I start thinking through, okay, how is God at work? What does God want? Does God just want, hey, the person's sick, so boom, let's heal them and get on with life, get past this unwanted thing? Or is it, well, he wants to actually grow their faith. So God, in this situation that's happening to them that they don't want, in the midst of this, would you help them grow? Would you shape their character in some way? Would you strengthen their character? Would you deepen their commitment to you and what's going on? Sometimes I'll think through, is there a verse that I could pray for the person? Based on what I know what's going on in the person's life, is there a verse that maybe speaks to that and speaks to what God might want them to experience? So yeah, I, I want health. Yeah, I want to be restored from this thing, but that's, that's not necessarily the most important thing. The most important thing is it's growing, discovering more about God for faith to go deeper. So I start to pray those things. A third purpose is that sometimes God is using sickness as discipline. There are times that physical sickness can be a direct consequence for our sin. In Psalm chapter 38, David, throughout that psalm, Psalm 38, David is experiencing the physical consequences for his sin. And he says this in verse 3, really, really interesting. He says, Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. He's just laid out a chain of events. It starts with, he says, because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. So whatever he's going through, whatever the sickness is, the ailment in this specific situation in David's life, he points to God's wrath. He's saying, God, you brought this into my life. But then he says, there's no soundness in my bones because of my sin. So David decided to sin. He decided to go against how God had said to live. As a consequence, God brought a consequence that affected him physically, that affected his physical health. And God's purpose in David's sickness was discipline out of love so that David might repent and turn around and get back on track, which is what David did. But this is one of the things that could be at play when we get sick. You know, often it's common and I've done this, and I know other people will do this, when we get sick, to ask the question, why? Why is this happening to me? And often the question, why is this happening to me, is kind of, a, kind of from a victim mentality of like, you know, how could this happen? Like, I haven't done anything wrong, or, you know, I don't deserve this. And so it's kind of this why from a victim mentality. But actually, as you read through Scripture and you study this idea, it's not always the case, but if there's a possibility that this could be discipline, then it would be more accurate to ask the question, why, really from the question of, could I be the perpetrator in this situation? Could this be a consequence for my sin? Is this discipline? Is there something that I need to confess? Because if it's why and I'm the victim, then why is this happening to me? Then you get in the place of comparing and complaining just like Asaph was. But if it's why is this happening to me, is there sin that I've done that I need to confess? Well, now we can start to address things. And so let me just say, if, if this is a possibility, if disobedience could be the source of sickness, then what you do is you ask God. And if it is discipline, you don't have to play a guessing game. God really wants you to learn the lesson. So if you go to him and ask him, it's not going to be some clue or riddle or some mystery you've got to figure out. He's going to speak. So if you've got the question, ask him, God, is this because of sin that I need to confess, that I need to address? Ask him. And if it is, he'll speak. But it's important to know that this is a possibility because confessing our sin could bring healing in certain situations. So these are a few of the purposes. Sickness is one of those things in life that can shake us to our core. 
It robs us of joy and causes us to get stuck, and that is not what God wants. God wants us to live a life full of joy. He wants us to continue making progress forward. And it's because of the work of Jesus, because of his offer of eternal life, that we can know sickness is only temporary. My hope is not in this earth. My hope is not in this life. My hope ultimately is in heaven. Sickness is only temporary. And we can trust that God is in control. He already knows the number of our days here in this life. So as we follow him, he's in control. He has a plan. We can trust him with that. And then because we trust him and because we turn to him, then what we're going to experience is over time in the middle of this mess, as we experience sickness, which is a consequence of sin, in the middle of it, we're going to experience God's purpose and we're going to realize that he is working for our good in the middle of this sickness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for speaking clearly on this topic. And I thank you for not leaving us alone in this mess. I thank you for helping us and coming alongside us and the fact that you're with us and you're present and we don't have to shoulder this alone. So God, I pray this morning, I I know in a room this size, there are, are all different levels of health concerns. And so God, I pray for the individuals that are facing these real questions of where is God in the middle of this sickness God, I pray that they would sense and experience your presence in real ways that they can't deny. And God, I do pray for healing. I pray that you would restore health, and I pray that you would bring healing to our bodies. But I pray that our hope wouldn't be in that, but that we would remember that you are in control of the number of our days, and our hope is in heaven. Our hope is in a place where there is no sickness, there is no disease, there is no fear of death. That's where our hope is. God, we thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.